Hello and welcome back to, uh, is it episode 11 in our conversational podcast, The Wisdom Experience? I believe it is. Today is, as we record this Tuesday, so number 10 will be going out today. And we're recording number 11 now. Wow. So... I, that, do you know, but in the age of podcasts, we're still, we're infants. We're not even baby. We're not even toddlers yet. We're infants. Exactly. We're, we're like days old. <laughs> we uh, are. Yeah. And, and it's great because we have that kind of awe and wonder and um, appreciation on a very surface level that our wants and needs are being satisfied and we don't even have to think about it. We just kind of hit record and go and hope that it works um which is layering a few adult emotions into that but yes so hopefully you've listened to some of the others and you kind of know the way that we're rolling with this particular series so i'm naomi um and my co-host in the house we can barely see your chin as well oh i'm sorry okay so so, the- <laughs> so this is episode 11 of the podcast, but we're actually trialing videoing it so we can see what it looks like on YouTube. So Clay, tell me why. Why have you decided that we're going to try YouTube at this stage? Well, there's a couple of things. One is the trend. If we're talking trends, there's a lot of trend in people who podcast, but they record their podcasts as well. I mean, they do quite more of a cinematic set up I mean think Joe Rogan and folks like that but I mean there's quite a uh, Jocko lots of them record and um, yeah they record the podcast Uh, a lot of people of course now have had to do it by zoom because we're not all in the same room and things like that uh, with each other Um, and so yeah there's that whole sort of visual orientation but there's also just the audience of people who like to and we call them podcasts but they like to watch stroke listen at the same time so anyway it's just another avenue um that i thought i'd just open up it gives us some flexibility as well to um different ways of of getting the message out there i think so yeah so i thought i'd give it a try see what it was like um we're recording this on zoom of course so in the in a good world the ultimate world the or the um ideal world they, you know, these are normally done in person and you got different sort of camera setups, but this works just as well. We don't have to be all that high tech. That sounds great. Yeah. And actually, I'm really pleased because originally I did want us to, to do something on YouTube, even if it wasn't necessarily us, our faces kind of live, um, but just a holding thing. And that's because I tend to listen to a lot of stuff on YouTube, but I am listening to to audio. You're right. I listen to audio on YouTube um, and I don't, I don't watch the screen. I will have it playing in the background and that tends to be my go-to. So that's, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm delighted because I, I don't, I don't listen to a podcast. So that's, that's the thing. Like if I do Joe Rogan, I go on to, on to YouTube, then I end up watching it, but then it defeats the point of the podcast. Like when I listen to him, then I can get on and do things. But if it's on the screen, then I feel compelled to sit there for an hour looking at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I think it's, uh, I mean, as I said, it's, 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 you know, a lot of radio stations and stuff, they do it as well. That radio broadcaster now also, um, recorded via video so you can watch and see, and maybe it just adds that other dimension for people who are wanting to connect because I can, they can then see us, um, see what you look like, see what I look like. It's not just a voice. It gives a, it stimulates another sense as in just the ear. Mm. Um, and I suppose it makes it accessible to people who aren't audio inclined, but or which the majority of folks are visually inclined. Um, so it gives them an opportunity to partake without feeling bored by listening to a podcast or audio. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. Enough of that. What are we talking about today? All right. Well, firstly, just to say I'm really grateful because as I'm sure everybody who's listening now knows, you're the technical one in the in the, the party and I just turn up and, and do a bit of a chat. So I'm really grateful that you're making this happen. So today we are going to 
look at this topic or we're, we're going to explore what are the benefits of having an ex I can't say it an ex, ex existential existentialist because <laughs> I've spelt it wrong on my notes conversation um, as a line of self inquiry and so I think the the idea behind that is what are the benefits of having a particular type of conversation with yourself um, uh, as a as a way to to find out more about yourself and 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 kind of a what would that lead to so now let me ask you this now okay you, because we're going to be doing the video have you got dolled up or anything special so, makeup lipstick i love the fact that we were talking about you know the setup of everything and then you decided you wanted to dive in and now we've dived in and i've posed the topic you you want to go back and talk about the setup so I i'm I, looking at you in your nice red dress and <laughs> it, you know. i have to laugh do you know there must be something to do with my camera because this is, is also it it's, it's kind of pinky it's yeah. kind of a it's like it's bright a red of, on it's this. A, yeah it's a muted it's actually a muted kind of pinky and do you have any secrets yeah. on your board back there that we're all do you know i probably do actually so <laughs> i write on my board uh when i'm either doing a client session because yeah. i i do have clients and kind of write things in so a lot comes down to that uh this is from a particular group that I'm working with at the moment. I've, I've got a group that I'm running that's all about abundance and we're basing it on Tosha Silver's book, It's Not Your Money. So this is her divine abundance prayer. Um, and there's some bits on the right. I don't think you can see the right. The right is actually to do with things that I'm thinking of with my business and my specialisms that I'm developing or growing or working on or skills that I want to improve. You talked about, um, you know, I'm looking at my critical thinking skills last week. So I've kind of plonked that on the board because it's a highlight. Right, so we'll yes, to, we'll so I'm just looking. But and actually, most of this, in fact, is is actually to do the podcast. So okay, just we'll a bit of background. on your how you organise your thinking at some point in time. <laughs> how people organise their thinking. Okay, I'll write right, that down. Systems of of organizing our thoughts and stuff. So okay, so we're looking at. So you were so saying we're existential. existential uh, existentialism as a line of inquiry. Exactly. So let's start at the top. Okay. I'm yeah. going to make sure we, because this is really clear. What does existentialism mean? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, it's a, it's a, a theory that's kind of put forth, philosophy that's put forth by, I mean, there's a, there's a number of people, but one of the main guys, uh, Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre, and put forth uh, this idea of existentialism. And as we were talking earlier, um, one of the things I like about existentialism is it becomes a, it's a practical philosophy. And we talked, I think, uh, a previous episode, we were, when we had this conversation about philosophy and academic philosophy and people not consider themselves philosophers and all of that because of the association with academic um, philosophy where existentialism is very much about um, the individual. If I go from it from a point of view of, I mean, existence is in the title, isn't it? But there's four key components to uh, existentialism, if you look at it that way. The world is weirder than we think is the first one. The world is weirder than we think. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and out of the basic, out of that comes this idea of absurdity. So if you really, really sit down and think about the things that we do in our lives are very weird. So, for example, when you sit down in the evening uh, to have dinner with your spouse, for instance, if you step back to actually think about what's happening, you are sitting under uh, a chopped down tree that's been processed and polished. You're putting dead carcasses and vegetables on your table and putting them inside your mouth, and you're sitting next to another. Um, uh, mammal, um, and you both are shoving this stuff in your mouth. So when you think about the process, this is idea yeah. how weird that might be. And you can pick almost anything that we do on any given day or any given moment. Um, and just when you really think about it, just the weirdness of the thing that that um, we're doing. Okay, uh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. So you're saying so there's so 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 Jean Paul Sartre was the is the daddy is is that right in terms of existentialism? Well, 
He's, I mean, there's a number of different folks, so I wouldn't want to say that. I won't go so far to say he's the daddy daddy. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's a number of guys, isn't there? I mean, there's uh, Nietzsche, there's um, uh, Kierkegaard, uh, um, there's, a, there's just, there's a lot, but they came at it from different kind of angles in the bit. I think there's a tendency towards Sartre because he put it forth um, as a philosophy. But even even if you think about the concept of existentialism, it can go all the way back to the ancient Greeks, really. But there is okay. a divergence um, in the basic on that that idea of the practicalism um, and the humanism um, that it's kind of based off of. But yeah, I think he's a good person to um, start with to get a sense of what existentialism is, um, at least to get it to, to suss out its main components. But a lot of existentialists use literature to get their, to expound the philosophy. So novels and plays like Beckett and Camus and folks like that. Um, yeah, they use literature. So you'll sometimes get see existentialism classified as literature, not philosophy. Uh, but it is. Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So then the second tenet of it then is that we are free. Now, this is the one that people struggle with. And this is maybe where the existential crisis starts to come in uh, when you realize that you are free. Um, and we talked already about the fact that education um, does a number on us and it's designed to make you. Um, bow to authority, to make you conform, to make you um, be a, a model citizen, right? A, com- a compliant model citizen. Yeah. That was the opposite of freeing you to make you think. And it makes you think that there's only a way of kind of living a life and a definition of what kind of success is. So it's kind of a mold. Um, and it's a mold that makes it easy to get lots of people through, get them into society and, um, yeah, and socialize them that way. Because um, what would happen if you lived in a world where everybody was free? Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually free Do to what think. they want to, yeah. Um, so this idea that we are free and once you discover the fact that you are free actually can sometimes send you into this crisis because then you realize that your choices are up to you. Mm-hmm. That you're that you're they're your responsibility. They're not your parents. They're not your teachers. They're not your um, politicians. But the choice is to you. And the reason why that causes then anxiety is because how do you know if you're making the right choice? Absolutely. Um, and then this and that's a fundamental condition of human life is anxiety. So the anguish of existence. I think Sarge called it. Um, in the sense that, yeah, you, because now I have all these life choices um, and I make one choice over another, how do I know what's the right choice and did I make the right choice? So it can send us into this, this pit of kind of despair mm-hmm. um, in that sense. But the positive side of that can be the fact that once you accept that you are free um, and you're free to make choices, and then you can create life in your own terms so you don't have to do the job that you've been conditioned to do or do um you know what expectations of other people say of you you don't have to stay with the partner that you with because that's the way you're conditioned to do um you're free to make greater choices um in that end and responsibility and the only one is on you now, I'm conscious here that this is supposed to be a discussion and I'm <laughs> a lecture, so oh, but um, you know what? It's a really, really fascinating. Yeah, Actually, I wouldn't say it's a lecture, actually. Well, well, I think you're showing something. Well, my head is going yeah. through all of this and kind of starting to apply it to my own life. Dialogue, so, man. Well, dialogue, all right. okay. I, I'm kind of <laughs> hoping that the people that are listening to us are doing the same. So, actually, that, that particular point, you're right. They, when you realise that you're free, maybe, and, and different people could be free for different reasons and are probably free at different times in their life. So if somebody's coming out of a challenging relationship, say, um, 
and then they realize that they're free and then they go out and they do all sorts of stuff and we've all seen it you know people go out and you know they they sow their wild oats or um you know they they kind of they go out and on the rebound they find someone and because because they're free suddenly they think this is it this is the one and i've never put it down to this point but yeah it's a i think it's a great point and people might be free for for all sorts of reasons you know you think about i mean we're of the age now we're both in our 50s um certainly i would say in times gone by we would be at the stage where there's no mortgage to be paid now that's sometimes hang on to that Okay. That's a negative tenet according to existentialism. That very argument that you make is point number four. Is that right? Okay, so so we'll come back to that. All right. Yeah, we'll okay. Come back to that. So this is it. So I'm waiting for point four, apparently, yeah. subconsciously. Yeah, so but I love that. We are free. And you're right. It is hard to know what's appropriate because actually, what are my choices? And if you don't trust yourself, and a lot of us don't have self-trust, in fact. Funnily enough, with my abundance group, we were discussing this very point yesterday. So if you don't trust yourself, which could be because you've never, you know, you, you've been taught how to think in a certain way and behave in a certain way, then actually how do you know that the choices that you're making are for what I would call the greater good or the greatest good, which includes you as part of the whole? Yeah, now, so from an existentialist point of view, everything is about the individual, not collectively. We'd be conditioned to be community-oriented and think about, you know, the others, but in actuality, it's about self. Um, but again, think of school, think of the socialization, think of all this society and how you kind of mold it to be, um, you know, a sheep or cow, to be a part of the herd and all of that sort of stuff is is the kind of things that we're conditioned into um, from politics to religion to all sorts kind of condition us into that sort of space. And this idea of being the free is, it is that you fundamentally realizing that those are only choices, that they're not the right choices they're not, and they're not the only choices. And you don't have to listen to those choices. You're free to make your own choices. Uh, although the greatest society doesn't want you to feel that freedom to make your own choices. Um, and so everything is um, designed against you feeling that way. Um, but then, but you got to get to the point <laughs> where you can let all of that go. But that's hard because, because yeah. from birth, you're conditioned to, 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 you know, be a part of the herd, to obey. Um, to um, be subservient to society, to authority. Um, you know, you condition it. So it's not an easy thing to break away from. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you'll feel anxious about wanting to break away from it because you'll think, well, is that the right choice? All my elders and the people I respect and everybody else is telling me, all the gurus are telling me that it's this. So then, as you say, we then doubt ourselves. Um, but you have to have extreme trust in yourself to be able to um, to be a free thinker, as Nietzsche would say. You're not a part of the herd, but a free thinker. Yeah. Which you don't. You make your own um, choices, but make them freely. Like, I do think that's a really challenging point because we've obviously been, you know, we, we've we've grown up and and been socialized in the world as it is and I was saying to you just before we started recording I I was listening to you and I just cannot remember if it was an audiobook or if I was reading something in the last few days um, but it was around this this process of critical thinking and you know it reminded me that as children we ask why you know why should I do this why 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 and adults tend to get a little bit frustrated when you ask why a lot um, and and because I said so yeah exactly because I said so well how does that help me with my creativity um and this is the point and then when children start school at the age of four their the amount of times or questions that they ask why starts to drop dramatically now there are some children who continue to ask why and that in itself we should be asking why why is it that these children continue to ask why which kind of becomes this amount 
and why did these children kind of slowly stop asking why? I can and tell it's you hard. from my, my other book that I'm reading, The South okay. University, <laughs> and it was quite interesting. Um, so if you think not only has our... Um, not only has sort of education pushed us that way, but then you've got the media and you've got advertisers. Um, and then they also help you <laughs> to, to, you know, they're also shaping um, this idea of what your values are. Um, they're shaping what you, I'm trying to find this chart. It was a great chart that kind of shows, and partly the argument that, um, the guy that wrote this book, and I'll tell you the author here in a second. Um, what's his name? His name is called The Self University. The price of tuition uh, is the desire. Charles D. Hayes? Charles is that D. Hayes, that's it. Yeah, the price of tuition is a desire to learn. Your degree is better. Is a, Your degree is a better life. Um, but in that, part of his argument is uh, media and advertising and the fact that one of the things we don't get in school is self-knowledge. So we get taught math, history, science, these things, but we don't get taught how, the, how we work, how the mind works, how um, the psychology of being and behavior. And without having an understanding of how you work and how others work, you're more easily manipulated. So we need to understand how we work. We need to understand how the mind works so that we aren't, um, what's the word? So that we aren't manipulated. So that we aren't manipulated. There's sort of a word in open to being manipulated. I think there's a better way of doing it, but oh, I like that. I like that a lot. And of course, this is why we have a lot of people who've grown up with, um, let's, let's kind of go to one end of the spectrum and say abusive parents. So in terms of maybe um, alcoholic parents or drug addicts who neglect the child or who abuse the child physically as well as mentally and emotionally, actually, because they've been exposed to such a negative uh, I'm not sure that manipulation is the right word, but it kind of it feels that it's all in this sort of area at such a young age. Then that's that can can mean that they they search for a lot of answers when they're grown up because their life their their childhood experience was so damaging, um, but they were aware of that and something in them is is still strong enough to say no, this isn't the way it should be. I, I want to kind of work my way through this. So when they start having an existential crisis is when they start to um, question question their existence. That's what the whole existential is, isn't it? You live your life. So you have your existential crisis because you've lived your life up to this point by obeying the rules, doing kind of what you've been taught, um, how you've been socialized. Um, and then at some point you maybe have this space where you start to question all the things you've ever been taught in school, been taught by your church, been taught by your political leaders, you start questioning that. Well, some people never do. A lot of people do do. And then you start to question your very existence um, in that. And yeah, some of that is dipping back into your childhood. Where there, you know, Even we talked on one of the episodes about, about the fact that when that breadcrumb exercise that I mentioned on a previous episode, like going back and tracing the origin of the things that you believe, like where did that belief come from and why do you actually believe it? Um, and that you, you know, our beliefs become so, because, so, you know, definition of the belief is it's just to you, it's true. It might not actually be true, but because you believe it, then it's true for you. So it's where do these, these sets of beliefs that you have, where do they come from? Um, so yeah, I found that that um, this this is called the vows double hierarchy. Um, it's How do you spell that, please? The V A L S double hierarchy. Um, it's from a book called The Nine American Lifestyles. But as he was pointing out here, and how we're manipulated in a sort of media uh, kind of spaces that you have at the bottom of this thing, you have survivors. So 
the bottom is needs driven and that you have um, survivors, sustainers, and belongers. Um, and these people are traditionally out of directed on a de uh, development path. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and so. Can you show us? Because yeah. so, so as we're actually doing video, just. Oh, neat. I have never seen that before. I do yeah. like that. Okay, no, love that, yeah. Maybe we can take a picture of it and put it into the show notes. Um, so, yeah, so then you've got, once you come above this sort of line, this sort of outer-directed um, aspect, there's outer and there's inner, you've got on the left-hand side, you've got the emulators and achievers. Now, one of the things it challenges us to do is to figure out where you are on that chart. And I figured out that I've been playing a lot in the emulator bit, as in you want to emulate others who've done successful things. Okay. Um, who are the achievers. Um, and so you do a lot to try and be an achiever. Um, on the other side of that, you have people who are interdirected. So you've got this IME uh, experiential kind of where we're at here, societal consciousness. But the whole point at the very top of this thing is to be integrated, not to be stuck in any one of these levels. So almost it's kind of a, um, it's not a version of, uh, Maslow, but it's a it's a well, it's a system of thought in terms of where we might be at. And what he's saying is that a lot of advertising and media know that most people aren't aware where they probably sit at on this chart. And he breaks out percentages of how many people were in the category, um, and then they design their advertising, branding, and all that sort of stuff to manipulate you in your whichever those boxes that you're in so the story will be slightly different um depending on where you are in that category but if you're unaware of that then you're susceptible to those messages mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that's playing itself out in well, politics here and in the states um he makes a point of uh the i this fact that um because we feel educated because we all went to school and you graduated high school mm -hmm. and stuff like that and maybe even some you know university um that we don't question our education we're educated but then if you think about how we are how politics and things are sold to us and how we make decisions it's off of sloganeering it's off of propaganda it's off of you know make it easy for you to understand by creating um these yeah this these these slogans and stuff like that where you you know not really gone behind any depth so mm -hmm. go down twitter go down facebook go on the newspaper and that's kind of what you get fed but we and we are making decisions and being stirred emotionally by these because we're not paying attention to the if that those things are done deliberately to have an effect on you and i was doing some work uh earlier this year on rhetoric i don't know if you ever studied that subject no um, but again well, i think i'd like to but yeah again it's another one of these ones where you just and it's i find it so fascinating just just the power of language and rhetoric in itself again it's there's ways of manipulating people without them realizing that they're being manipulated just and i didn't realize how many there's so many techniques um and you're, I guess you're, you'll tend to just pass it off as, you know, you and I just talking and we're doing our thing. And that just seems like normal life. But then, like he's, this, this book that I was reading on the rhetoric and stuff, when you start to dissect some of the language and speeches and um, written things that we hold important, you see all the manipulation that's gone in and it's deliberate. And wow. So it's, um, but... So the, the, the idea is, is, is part of the reason for this book of self-university is that you've got to educate yourself. So this idea of self-education, um, lifelong learning, and, um, and educate yourself first at the self-knowledge bit so you can understand how, why Amazon knows more about you than you know about yourself. Yeah. You to the level of being your own Amazon and knowing yourself as well as they know you so that you realize when you are, you know, you're being influenced or manipulated. Um, and it's not all bad as in, you know, like, you know, so 
But I say it's not all bad. So when you're conscious that I present you with an idea and this idea shows you how something works and therefore you make a buying decision, that's one thing if you're conscious of that process. If you are making a buying decision, you're not aware that I'm pulling certain levers based off of your demographic, based off of your education level, um, based off of where you might sit on the political spectrum, hence all that stuff with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and influencing the election and all of that. You know, all those people who, you know, they're just on Facebook doing their thing, not realizing um, that, you know, their news feed has been compromised and mm. you know, they're given a view of the world um, that they've come to believe without realizing that someone's been doing that on purpose. Um, so it's this idea of coming to recognize that. And I know we're kind of straying into lots of things, mm. which is good because it all kind of fits in with this idea, of, like we said, like we are free. When I say we are free, you really have to do the work to get yourself free. Mm. It won't come from, it won't be able to come um, like, um, there's so much you have to unpack. So there's a lot of work to unfree yourself from these influences to understand yourself, to understand rhetoric, to understand these um, various forces that are, you know, yeah, used to make you conform and comply and be a model citizen and all of that. Mm, although, of course, that's happening less and less and less. But actually, and, and is it though? Is it happening less? Yes, and less? yeah, I do think it is. So I, uh, you know, there's in terms of things that are happening kind of in schools. And I think, well, hmm, okay, so now you say that, and I go, oh, well, is that just my perception? So what I was going to say was, you know, there seems to be more uh, aggravation, if you like, coming from um, kind of younger members of the population. However, actually, it has that always been the case? You know, we know that teenage Teenagers have a, uh, a heightened, what's the word, sort of a heightened physiology in terms of their hormones raging, you know, we talk about that, and they've got a lot more energy, and, and of course that's them trying to kind of break out and into the world on their own. Uh, I, I suppose I'm kind of, because my boys are 17 and 15, I'm almost becoming more aware of it maybe, where I kind of think, gosh, you know, are they going to be safe, you know, when they go out, is somebody going to take one look at them, decide they don't like the look of them and, and have a go just because they can kind of thing. But maybe you're right. Maybe that's actually because of the stage of life I'm at as a parent. It was never something that was an issue for me or it was an issue once. I remember seeing um, somebody attack my boyfriend at the time when we were, we must have been maybe 19, 20. Um, and this guy just came over and decided to start having a go at him. And it was for no reason. Uh, and it was it was quite a I was really taken aback because that wasn't part of my world. But equally, it wasn't part of my world. Whereas now, even though it's not part of my world, I am starting to think about okay, how how are my boys going to be safe? And there's so much right. that you've and said. How about you? How about how are you going to be safe? Because um, you're in the same world that they're in. Well, think, yeah. Look, think but of how to, think, think. Look, you got climate control you've got all this you know the radical veganism there's so many forces that are mm. you've got people the po politics is more polarized than ever between left and right you know and there seems almost a conscious steering of this this can discord somebody wants discord so you've got to ask that question you it feel does, you're safe, right but there's a lot of but am i safe yeah there's I, a lot yeah. of stuff that's going on and these forces are moving um, and you can ask well, one thing was that people being enlightened or is that people being manipulated in in the way so if you think about some of these protests and they say well these there's some there's honest people in quotation marks you know they're uh -huh, nice uh -huh. and they're doing it you know for the right reasons but there's other forces behind that that want the discord that are helping to fuel mm. um even more discord. Um, it's almost like we've got to break it all apart 
to then well, start building so. it well, back together. Well, this is it. So I think there's there's there is probably a section of society that has that philosophy. We got to destroy the world to build it back up. So let's create the maximum amount of discord um, and um, havoc so that we can destroy in order to build. But you mentioned in existentialism, you were saying about literature, and um, <clears throat> there's, kind of, there's a few things that, that, that come to mind. So first of all, uh, Lord of the Flies, William Golding. I don't know if you've ever read that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the basic premise, you know, group of boys left to their own devices, what happens? Um, and it's almost, it feels a little bit like that in the world at the moment. But the other one, the one that I think is actually for this conversation or, or particularly for, for where we're at. Yeah, but that, fun, well, listen, that book go is on. interesting. I mean, again, think about it. You, there's classic conformity. So, yeah, all right, you throw me on an island and then we get to, so there's a couple of things that are going on there, isn't it? So is man basically good or basically evil? Another philosophical argument, isn't it? So, you know, is our nature towards good or is our nature towards bad? So if man left to his own devices, would he be inherently good or bad? So Lord of the Flies kind of plays out both sides of that, doesn't it? Mm. Um, so, yeah, so... But that comes down to choice. In that, in, in that sense, when you have no outside influences... That is, that is down to well, choice. That's it. Well, well, that is it down to choice. I think that's the whole argument on the ph- philosophical side is, are we basically good or are we basically... Yeah, but uh, I see, uh, I think it makes it too simplistic, doesn't it? But, but you're right. But and, it, and so, because it's the question, what's your fundamental nature? So why do you do what you... Right now, you've got a bunch of laws telling you what to do. And I don't know if you ever question any of these laws, but there's a lot of laws that you obey. So what happens if you take those laws away? That's how you to look at it. If there was no law telling you what was right, what was wrong, or lawful, unlawful, how would you behave? Well, this is a great example. If you look at what's happening at the moment with COVID, so things aren't in law, but the government is, is asking us to do certain things. So we're now at the stage of, of COVID-19, whereby we are able to mix more freely but we're still supposed to be social distancing you know we're supposed to be wearing masks if we go into any shop however you've got plenty of people who are going to shops who are not wearing masks and that whole conversation the whole dialogue that's kind of I would say springing up but obviously it's been going now for several months where you know we've kind of got the self-righteous uh in at both ends of the spectrum and actually you know it's kind of a choosing where to sit on that spectrum you know do you believe it's a conspiracy and therefore you're going to go around and mix with people and not wear your mask and not sanitize and so on and so forth or you know are you the complete opposite end or are you somewhere in between yeah, well, now, what if there was no government to tell you that you had to do either or? This is the point. What would you do naturally? We what wouldn't would know that because we've 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 all, always had this. You know, we're not kind of new, are we? We're not fresh. We're not suddenly born today. We've yeah. always had an influence. So, well, so we don't, I, don't I don't think we'll ever get to the answer of that. I don't think we've always had an influence. I think we had a wild mm-hmm. state. I think we were wild people at one point in time. And then we as got individuals, as in yeah, you. As, as in human beings, we're wild. As in human beings, absolutely. But as in mm. us that are physically here today, mm. we've always, you know, there is always a conditioning. You, you've grown oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, know. us, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that's why becomes, I don't know that you never get an answer. Yeah, you can't get to an answer unless you do the Lord of the Flies. Put us on an island. <laughs> where... Wait until we kind of go to base and then... <laughs> Put us on an island. And then we'll find out, or watch The Walking Dead. Again, that's another classic one there. It's like, how would humans behave if society suddenly breaks down? There's no one to tell you what to do. Suddenly, now you're back to existentialism again. Now you truly are free. There's no government. There's nobody telling you that here's the rules. There are no rules. Now what do you do? And that's Mm. that's where you're moving towards an existentialism, is to realize that actually... There aren't any rules. Now you are free to make up your own rules, the ones that suit you. But a lot of us never reach that stage. We just accept the rules that are given to us. We just accept 
you know, maybe what I, what's leaning our parents were in terms of, you know, liberal, conservative or whatever. We just accept the religious beliefs that we kind of grown up with or didn't grow up with. Uh, we haven't made a free choice yet. Mm. Uh, fascinating <clears throat> conversations we've been having in our house for the past, you know, consciously conversations, if you like, for the past couple of weeks have been around uh, we've been talking about politics with our older son and he was asking us, you know, kind of a, uh, who, sort of a who we vote for, but in the process of why, why do you vote for those people? Although actually I don't think he particularly asked that. I think we just offered him that um, because funnily enough, I'm very conscious that he doesn't. In fact, I don't think either of my children ask why as much as they could. So I'm trying to encourage that especially now I've obviously read all this bits relatively recently. Can you just tell me, because I forgot to look when we started recording, what time was it? Because I, I obviously want to keep an eye on that. Um, well, I did two things. One was I didn't hit, because I'm recording a Zoom, I forgot to hit record on the recorder, but now I've hit it. But since I've hit it, 20 minutes have gone by, but we must have been an easy 10 or 15 minutes into it before I hit before record. That. So. Okay, cool. So the other thing, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm sort of so excited. I'm kind of like, oh, do I throw this in? Or actually, do we find out what the third tenet is? So let's find out what the third tenet then is, is yeah. of existentialism. We've kind of been talking about the third tenet already, which is we shouldn't live in bad faith, which is a way of saying you shouldn't just do something because someone's told you that's the right way to do it, that that's the way to mm-hmm. believe that, you know, you've, you know, your this is your place in society so accept that um and that's just it so we shouldn't live in bad faith because we have this inherently free um as beings to change our condition change our reality change what it is that we do um, but if you accept in bad faith and just say okay well that's my condition in life um this is what the government says um so this is what i'm going to do um uh, yeah advocate again all of this is why i have been wanting to look more into critical thinking or critical analysis because i don't feel i'm able to to question why and get to a deep enough level that really answers the question as it were so i think part of the in line or just as much as part of critical thinking is is reading i mean when you mm. like, it's like self-education self-university book i mean that again in the kind of stuff that i'm reading around that bit in the lifelong learning aspect and um, you know one of the arguments they make is that because of the way that we you go through the school system that most people stop the education process once again, you know, you, you mm-hmm. figure out how to please the teacher, get the grade and you're out and then you're done. Who, who I don't want any more to do with that. Why would I ever want to read another book again? Um, and that kind of thing. Um, so again, the way to freedom and self-liberation is to be widely read. Um, and that means that you're able to read stuff on both sides um, you know, to know the argument on either side. Again, if you want to be able to, you know, discern, even critical thinking only helps you to the helps you to ask the questions, but you have to be exposed to the material to ask the questions of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so. I think it's just a case and, and I have noticed that as I've been that bit older, and, and truthfully though, probably only the last couple of years. I am reading things and and able to see that I am being presented one side of the story. Um, And that's kind of interesting because as I just said that, I thought, oh, that's really interesting because actually in my work, what happens is when I'm working with individuals, you know, people will tell me their side of the story. And I have an innate ability where I can see the other side of the story which allows me to help support that individual through their self-development, understanding that there are other people involved in their story and they find balance within that. But I've never been able to do it. When I, see, when I read the written word, it's almost like I take that as gospel, you know, unless it's... Again, that's conditioning, isn't it? 
But so, yeah, it, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. A, so part of this gig is how do you, you know, yeah. So we, you know, there's a um, there's a, a myth that if you read it in a book or you read it in the newspaper, then it must be true. Absolutely, we yeah. know that that's not true. But then you've been brought up in the education system to listen to what the teacher said, read the books the teacher said, that there's a right answer to most things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, they give you a selection. They don't give you, a, you know, your whole education is biased. Mm-hmm. After all the universe of books, someone's made a selection of books <laughs> and said, here's the ones that you're going to read. Um, which I think, you know, for me, I was always a, um, I lived in the library, so I, from a young age, was just always reading like everything. So my books in school was never enough. I was, it was a devour it quickly, and then I was, I would literally go into the library and just go down a stack randomly and see whatever catches my eye, start and read it. Um, so I, I was made my own sort of curriculum in that way, and even by the time high school, I think I was. I was in a, I was a, a class onto myself, but they had me in a class. But I did different work than the, everybody the rest else. of the class. But yeah. that's great. And yeah. that's an example of where actually the education system was flexed to support, to support you. It wasn't an education system. I had a teacher who, um, rec- two teachers that recognized something and they fought for that. They called it independent study. Brilliant. Otherwise, Absolutely I, brilliant. I would have had to be in the thing. They were like, eh, there's something different here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't an automatic thing, nor was it necessarily the school that said, okay, yeah, let's make this thing mm-hmm. um, for this one person. Because think about it. I mean, I was in a large high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. One person, let's make a different thing for this one person. Uh, it was, uh, I just was lucky that I had. Um, to teachers that were um, so inclined to step in on my behalf to say, all right, let's not just treat them like the rest of the herd here. Um, and I had teachers that resented that. It was like... Um, they wouldn't understand it. Well, that's one, that, one that resented it wholeheartedly and one who always challenged me because I think it kind of... Um, didn't dig on it either but he didn't resent me in the way that this other teacher did <laughs> so it was mm. it was a weird thing but anyway i only had to deal with that for a year and a half because i i changed high schools um halfway through so tenant so that was tenant number three we should okay we shouldn't live in bad faith so don't just accept your condition as it is and then the fourth tenant is our we are free to dismantle capitalism so back to your other thing about mortgages and money and things like that. One mm. of the things that starts to say and that is that we use capitalism or money as an excuse to conform. Um, again, yeah. So I got this mortgage to pay. So therefore, I don't. I aren't free to do this thing because I got to pay for this thing or let's educate or you know we. It's a. It's another way to keep ourselves um, as indentured servants um, as opposed to allowing ourselves to be. Um, free. I think he had a really, it was one of his real bugbears, this idea that we, um, again, uh, subjugate ourselves to some other force or we abdicate our responsibility, basically, is I think which is the thing that really got him. So I think, and I appreciate you changed that halfway through, but subjugating yourself to external force and abdicating your responsibilities are two different things. Two different things, yes. Yeah. It's more ab- abdicating your responsibility mm-hmm. by putting it on something else, like, okay, well, I need money um, to do this, or if only I had money, then I then I could, you know, be free or do some of the things or that kind of thing. But we're not realizing it's, it's, the, it's the system of your thought, your thinking that needs to be free. Um, I like, there's a couple of phrases that I had written down that I thought were interesting. One was that we suffer from an agony of choice. Oh, um, yes. And again, once you begin to realize this idea about 
that we're free. Well, once you realize that the world is absurd um, and it's absolute, it's a kind of meaningless world in a sense, in that sense. Um, but that freedom then means that we have choice, but then having that choice, how do I know if I'm making the right choice? Exactly. Um, and so do I listen to you because, you know, you're educated in quotation marks um, because you seem to know the right answer. And so, yeah, so maybe I do that because I don't want to have the, I don't want to have the responsibility of making the choice. So I look to other people. I look to authority. I look to scholars. I look to, you know, you know, our therapists, our coaches. We look to other people. Um, and to, yeah. So that's really interesting. That reminds me of, of when uh, my children were younger, as in much, much younger, and uh, about the immunizations that children have. And there's this, obviously, you know, we, we have a program of immunizations in Britain. I don't know how it works in other countries that the government have put together sort of over years as epidemics have happened and or as, as, as maybe not epidemics as such, but you know, as we've kind of realised that measles causes issues, mumps causes issues, you know, so we have this programme of immunisations. And then there's a big school of thought that sort of says that these immunisations can cause all sorts of issues so they can... Uh, cause mental health problems, they can cause ADHD, they can cause autism. And so there's this big backlash of uh, a section of society who says, no, I, I'm not going to have, my child's not going to get immunised. And then we have this issue whereby whatever it happens to be, and I'm sort of going back to MMR, because measles, mumps and rubella is, is kind of one that most people know. And that starts to rise again because people are not immunising their children and and we're kind of in this, what I would call a merry dance. But when I was a parent, so I had two young children, um, you know, there was 18 months between them. And one of them, as we know, you know, has a disability. And there was a variety of issues at that point that we just didn't know what we were dealing with. And then there was this whole question of immunisation. And like, this is something that I would have gone to my dad. I would have gone to my dad and asked my dad. My dad was a dentist. He was a professional um, surgeon in that respect. So he was educated and he was um, a free thinker in many ways. So I would have gone to him because I would have trusted him. But he wasn't alive because he died, as you know, six weeks before my eldest was born. And and I, I just didn't know what the right thing was because I... You know, I, I think quite holistically and I think quite esoterically. And I already had a child who had, you know, a lot of things that were not, let's say, in the, the mainstream of, of normality. And, and I didn't know what to do for the right reasons. So I talked with my husband and I actually asked um, a couple of my school friends what they did. And the reason I asked my school friends is because I've known them all my life, so I, I know how they think. I know um, their, and I will say their intelligence, I know their ability to question and their ability to, to work things through. So I asked them, because they had children, thankfully slightly older than mine, uh, what they did. And, and then as a result of what they shared with me and how they'd come to those decisions, I was then able to make the decision that I felt was right for my family and my husband agreed and you know, so we did what was right for us and I share all of that and that was I know there's quite a lot of steps to that but it was that understanding that I didn't have the capacity to look into that at that time but I wasn't just going to do it because somebody had told me to so I had to find a middle way and although in the end I did do you know kind of what someone else had told me it wasn't without thought it wasn't without questioning yeah i think um you know when you get into all of this with the self-education thing it's about the more sources you can bring in both con um, and for then the more rounded decision you can make if you the more sources that you bring in to 
into mm. play for and against because um, somewhere in all of the for and against uh, you'll find um, a right enough answer for you and that's it isn't it? it's that right enough answer for you it's, it's what resonates with you mm. yeah, yeah absolutely I mean because you, you know can you ever be certain about what's true um, you know that's part of the whole existentialism thing isn't it so you can't well, yeah. ever really necessarily be certain um that we've chosen wisely um so yeah so you just again i think you know going hand in hand with a lifelong learning piece um in self-education and existentialism is for me it's yeah you know you have to keep take consuming these different sources whether you know it's books it's uh, you know media to some extent but again be mindful of what you're taking in um articles newspapers talking to people talking to people who are on the other side of the spectrum than you are so again one of the criticisms of social media and things like sort of sort of facebook um and twitter um, or and it's well, all of them for that matter is the algorithm makes the mm-hmm. bubbles, don't they? So I'm going to feed you more what you like. So yeah. you never get to see a dissenting view. You don't get around it view. You just get served up more of what you like. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, and it does. Taste it I was thinking like um, the internet is huge, mm-hmm. right? There's so much stuff on it. But how much of it do you actually get a chance to see? Well, well, because you and so if you go do a Google search, what are you going to get? You're going to get what Google says exactly is the most yeah. uh, prominent, based off of other people search and doing whatever. But still, Google's deciding what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon knows what you want to what you. And, and the thing about, I don't know if you watched the program, I think it was on Channel 4 or whatever, but you may be able to catch the documentary somewhere else. You know, they don't only just know you from what you're buying on Amazon, but because they own different companies and different things, they know your habits from all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. Um, they know where you've been on the internet and see all the other places you go on the internet. And all that feeds into our, our, our algorithms that how they know what you're going to buy before you buy it mm. and why they start presenting you things that they know you on the verge of getting ready to buy because they've amassed so much data on you from everywhere. Even if you never bought anything from Amazon, they still know more about you than wow. you know about yourself. I did just, not know that. Just based off. Yeah. So watch that, that um, show again. It's, um, and these algorithms are just, um, I mean, they're crazy in the sense of how much they understand us. And, and again, from my the self-university uh, book that I'm reading, you know, the part of self-education is for you to understand yourself as, you know, as well as Amazon understands or any other algorithm. Mm, <laughs> uh, it's a, do you know what? It's such a, a great soundbite, that, because... It, you once you say it you go oh yeah they really do and do I and it it just suddenly crystallizes maybe how little we know about ourselves yeah I've got like a thousand or so friends on Facebook but I only ever see yeah yeah that come in absolutely but I don't ever unless I deliberately go find their names I don't get to see anything that they're up to absolutely Um, for ages you know I thought um I should not essentially not continue with 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 my business as in my you know my well-being coaching business because you know I've been in this game for as you know as we know for 17 years and then about five years ago all I was getting in my feed in fact I don't think it was that long ago even but maybe three years ago I was just getting all these the positive memes and bits and pieces that we've talked about and of course, I've been doing that, but I've been doing it for, for many, many years. And I, I put something up that is, hopefully it's got a positive vibe. And I pose a question with it because I want people to think for themselves. Um, and I've been doing that. That's just been the way that people know that this is what I'm into. But equally, it's about helping them and giving them an offering of you know something that they can think about in their own world. And then 
you know, I would go on Facebook and all my feed was ever about was uh, was these positive things. And I, I kind of started to doubt myself. Um, I'm thinking, well, you know, kind of if everybody's doing this, then there's no need for me to do this anymore. Um, and then that was kind of an interesting turn to go through. And in fact, coming back to, to our podcast, you know, one of the things that I really want the podcast to grow organically. I, I think you do too. But the issue that we've got is unless we kind of crack the code, how do we get this out to people? Um, yeah, and I'm, it's, I'm it's not convinced in, uh, if, if organically is the way to go um, because we have a hard time to compete organically. Well, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, so that means we, we kind of almost have to, do we have to join the machine to... Yeah, well, you do. I think, well, yeah, I think you've, you've got to... You've got to join them. Use the mechanisms of the machine for your own good. Mm. If not, if only okay. to get that, um, what Malcolm Gladwell calls, get to the tipping point. Once you get to the tipping point, then yeah, then it'll be organic growth. But you'll never get to the tipping point if you can't um, get in front of the right people. So just like, you know, we're posting stuff on Facebook, we post the things on Twitter, but it's only going to get served to um, a fraction of people. Yeah. And it might not be the right people. So the people that who would automatically, instantly like it aren't actually getting a chance to see it. Yeah. So the insidiousness with advertising, targeted advertising, like you do with Facebook ads and Twitter ads and Google AdSense is you essentially be doing what Amazon does to us, which is, you know, name all the criteria and I'll put it in front of that specific person. And that specific person, if they're not a critical thinker, if they're not self-aware, self-knowledge, high self-knowledge, then part of their response is just because, oh yeah, and then they're just in. Um, because it's the algorithm has put it in front of the right person. But then you can look at it from a positive sense. So if our idea is to, you know, find the right people, um, then that, in, that, in some ways that's a good thing. So now I don't have to bother the people who aren't interested. In mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a bad to, point. Yeah, I don't have to waste their time. I don't have to waste my time um, with this going to people who have no interest in it when it, you know, it can go exactly to the person who has an interest and who would be up for Yes, and I guess you could kind of lay that over or, or, or transfer the, that thought, that pattern or that awareness into the world of, of work for people who work in, in maybe more traditional environments. So you're in a company and, you know, you, you have an idea or you want something to change, you know, who do you go to? How do you get support for whatever it is you want to do? It's about, you know, you, you need to think strategically. You need to think, well, who would be interested in this? Who might be interested in this? And who's definitely not interested in this? So it's kind of taking that pattern and, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And I haven't caught on to that I before. Because it's that. And I think also going back to Malcolm Gladwell is finding out who are your, um, uh, what did he call them? You know, you've got your, because it's like four different classifications of people, isn't it? So you yeah. got people. What are, what, what's, what's the, what are they? What's the four? I can't remember. Um, it's not advocate. It's not the right word. Um, dang, that's going to bother me now. Mm -hmm. um, and we're nearly at the hour, so we haven't yeah. really got time to go and find out. Why don't but, we find out and just pop it in the show notes? Yeah. Well, so you, you know, again, it's finding, um, or and just to use a generic term, you're finding people who are the influencers in a business. So if you're trying to spread an idea, uh, you've got to find the influencers. And then if you get those influencers, then to, because um, one of them is Maven, I know that. One is Maven. And the Mavens are like the geeks, that so they know everything about everything about a thing. Um, and if you get them on board, then people trust their opinion of stuff. Um, oh. Then you got your early adopters. Um, you want right. them on board um, because then they're out there and they're using it. Um, connectors is another one. There's mavens, connectors, and there's some other ones. But connectors, you want you want a connector. Uh, you want a maven because connectors knows a lot of people. 
Okay. So they can help spread your idea to loads of people because they know loads of people. Um, and if they're talking about it to their networks and it's huge, Maven gives it authority because, uh, oh, yeah, if, if, you know, that dude says it and they know everything about everything on, um, you know, Batman mugs, if he says something is big <laughs> Batman mug, then I'm definitely in. Um, so it's understanding and finding those people. It's a book called How, How, How Ideas Spread, The Tipping Point. Okay. Um, oh, but yeah, sure. so um, there's so much more to existentialism that you can go in. So we were just kind of basically looking at Sartre's um, sort of tenets that's come out of that. But, you know, equally you've got a whole bunch of other guys um, that have a lot of views that expands upon this whole idea of uh, – existentialism as a philosophy mm. and it's you know i think between existentialism and stoicism um and i suppose Taoism in that sense are probably my three um for favorite philosophies if you can count Taoism as a philosophy or spirituality whatever the philosophy of Taoism. anyway those are my three existentialism for sure uh, stoicism Stoic. yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then the sort of Taoism, all three of those combined is is uh, kind of where I sit. Mm. Mm, nice. Point of view, yeah. And I think that's really helpful because you know, kind of that gives people something that they can kind of connect to and understand. Yeah. And something uh, that I hang conned on to, and this is another phrase, I'm sticking it to my keyboard right now, that anxiety is a basic feature of our lives. Um, and what, where did that come from? Well, that's again, it's from the existential this philosophy. Uh, and it's because we have no certainty that we have chosen wisely. So we're constantly in this state. But the thing is not to fight that um, anxiety, but know that it's, an, it's a condition. It's part of the human condition, I think, what his point was, is it's not to fight it. Um, and that there's nothing wrong with you was the idea that you know because sometimes you get to this point where you think it's just you mm-hmm. and it actually anxiety is a part of the human condition uh, and it's born out of this fact that um, we live in this absurd world we're free to make choices but we can never be certain that the choices that we've made are the right ones so that we've chosen wisely so we have to get uh, sort of comfortable with, we have to get comfortable with uncertainty. Yeah, got to be comfortable yeah. with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. that's it, yeah. We've got to get comfortable with wow. being comfortable. Yeah. Brilliant. Right, well, on that note, we obviously don't know if it's actually now because we forgot to check what time we started. Uh, it's not too far. I mean, we're probably right on the hour now. I think I've been on the... A physical recorder for 48 minutes now so we're probably right at the hour now all righty well that i think has been really interesting um and hopefully uh you feel a bit richer from having listened to us or watched as if we're on youtube um we'll see how that goes we well, obviously and, and make sure oh, you get oh. us get us in front of the right people <laughs> yeah just, please, yeah, please find, do- find people who do you think would like listening to us dribble on about stuff <laughs> exactly yeah. and and who would like to join in with our conversation because that would be nice as well um so yeah do like this the podcast listen to it share it subscribe to it um and uh come and join us in the facebook group if you want to actually have more of a conversation but equally if you want to listen and go away and do your own self-inquiry then that is really what we're about so enjoy that too